Welcome to the 40th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Two decades ago, when farmers were seeking alternatives to chemical-intensive agriculture, they relied a lot on trial and error. There wasn't much information available from land-grant universities, extension services, or state and federal government ag agencies. In fact, agronomic experts from those institutions were just as likely to laugh at farmers who were converting to organic methods. But a lot has changed in the area of sustainable and organic agriculture in the last quarter century. Environmental concerns, a booming natural foods market, and the growing realization that input-intensive agriculture is not sustainable economically have combined to make government and educational institutions friendlier towards alternative farming methods. Make no mistake, the bulk of institutional resources are still devoted to conventional ag, but an increasing amount of support is being offered to farmers seeking sustainable options. That was made clear recently at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center in southern Minnesota. During a field day, farmers saw firsthand how the University of Minnesota Experiment Station is studying systems for raising organic crops in an environmentally and economically sustainable manner. The epicenter of this organic research is the center's Elwell Agroecology Farm, a 160-acre parcel that since the early 1990s has been one of the largest certified organic tracts of land at any land-grant facility in the country. The field day showcased research on cover crops, weed control, no-till cultivation, and risk management, all key issues for organic farmers. After the field day, I talked to Jim Riddle and Carmen Fernholtz, two people who have a lot to do with the Southwest Research and Outreach Center's growing prominence in the organic research field. Fernholtz, a pioneering organic farmer from near Madison, Minnesota, is the center's organic research coordinator. Riddle, a longtime Southeast Minnesota organic inspector and farmer, is the center's organic outreach coordinator. The two talked about how far organic and sustainable ag research and outreach has come in the past two decades or so, and what challenges remain. Maybe, Jim, you could just start out talking a little bit about uh, your background in organics, a brief uh, background, because you're quite a pioneer, I know, in the inspectionary and all of that. And then I know that you uh, weren't always kind of on the inside with the university as far as organics. There was some frustration, you know, amongst farmers. And w- when did we start seeing some of that change, and, and how did you get involved with all this? I mean, you, you and Carmen Fernholz are really... Uh, um, been able to bring about some really positive changes in this farm this uh, field day is a real example of that mm-hmm. yeah well i've been uh, involved in the organic sector for i don't know 25 years or so first as an organic farmer uh, growing produce in the winona area and then in the uh, uh, mid 80s i think 1986 uh got invited to attend an organic inspector training course and started doing inspections for Organic Growers and Buyers Association and uh, that just continued to grow in in my level of involvement Uh, and then eventually I got asked to train other inspectors and uh, formed the Independent Organic Inspectors Association and train inspectors all over the world and got involved in the policy side of things and eventually served a five-year 
five-year term on the USDA National Organic Standards Board. But here in Minnesota, um, you know, we've always been a leader, had one of the first certification agencies uh, back that started in the mid-'70s, OGBA, which is no longer in existence. But we've had uh, organic law since 1989, defining what organic means. And I've served on the Department of Ag's Organic Advisory Task Force since 91. And even though it's not been a, 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 a very significant budgetary commitment, um, there has been a recognition, I think, on the part of both the department and the university that this is a viable sector of agriculture. And, um, you know, it, it hasn't attracted the kind of funds that biotech, for instance, or, you know, things, uh, you know, that are supported by the big, big food processors have. But there's been enough there, and especially the constituent support, the uh, farmers, uh, really dedicated, uh, you know, to seeing it happen, and um, and also consumers, that, you know, seeing the market demand for organic. And um, so the university has had uh, uh, certified organic land here at Lamberton since the early 90s, and um, it's actually still the largest single tract of certified organic land at any land grant in the country. Uh, you, know, you talk about uh, Minnesota Long being a leader in this area, but when you were you people like you and Carmen were first getting started, there wasn't really a resource like this, like a field day to go to, or or uh, uh, you know the Rodale Institute. Jeff Moyer was here today, he gave a great presentation on uh, no-till organics, but even back then, there just wasn't the resources. I mean, this really must be a, a leg up for a lot of farmers to be able to come to something like this and then do follow-up with other farmers, that type of thing. Well, yeah, and it only makes sense. I mean, the land-grant is our public research institution, and it should be working for the public good. And part of that, you know, is organic agriculture, certainly protecting the resources, protecting water quality, improving the soil, preventing erosion, and producing safe, healthy, and abundant food. I mean, it all comes together with organic and I think more and more people you know consumers farmers and policymakers are understanding that so yeah we've we've been a determined lot uh, we, we uh, you know we believe in what we're, we're doing and you know we don't have to uh, cast shadows and and uh, you know about uh, you know other forms of agriculture we stick to what we're doing and let it carry its own weight and I think it's just you know a lot of people are waking up to the uh, to both the potential and the reality of what organic really means. I think one of the most gratifying things to see was uh, riding on the, the uh, wagons out on the, uh, in the test plus is to hear the farmers talking to each other and knowing that that's probably going to continue, that that networking, because that's been a real, they've had to rely on that for many years, and even though now they've got research plots here at a, uh, at a research station, they can still go to another farmer who's in the same area they are, dealing with the same problems they are, and, and network with them. That, that must be a real key part of this. Oh, yeah. Well, and uh, all the different surveys, whether it's Organic Farming Research Foundation or MOSES, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, or Minnesota Department of Agriculture, consistently find that farmers learn from other farmers and so yeah we came back in from the uh, field tours here and you know the farmers were just talking to each other and we had about 25 exhibits here and people were all at the exhibits and it was my job to tell people to come in and listen to the keynote speaker and break up all that good networking
networking that was going on. But we uh, we put it as a priority and let people get back to it. Lots of conversations over lunch and some good breaks. Um, so yeah, it's definitely you know building a sense of community and sharing information and you know people uh, really uh, learn uh, from one another and, and share that information. I think one other area that's real interesting to see is the. Um, there was a lot of comments on uh, it's great to do this research and to have and to set up some priorities for the future. But let's not just look at it, at it as only f- something that can be applied to organic agriculture. That there's there's a lot of benefits, and we've been seeing some of those results that can come to quote-unquote conventional agriculture, that type of thing. Sure, yeah. I, I think everybody's interested in cutting the, you know, uh, pesticide inputs or, uh, uh, re- you know, using their nutrients more responsibly and and getting more cover crops in the rotation, uh, protecting the soil and, you know, uh, sequestering more carbon. And, and you know, organic, uh, whether it's the crop production or livestock, has been cutting edge and, and not afraid to try new challenges and actually been kind of in a position position where we've had to be innovative because we don't have the same tools uh, as a conventional farmer does. And so uh, a lot of those, you know, if they are successful, they they are picked up by the conventional sector. Um, And and we're seeing that more and more. And there's just a lot better attitude, I guess, in the conventional sector to the organic that I'm finding. I mean, we had the president of the Minnesota Farmers Union here today, said a few words. It was great to have them involved. Um, It's just a lot of bridges being built. Carmen, I'd like to turn to you now. Uh, I was wondering if you could give me a little background on um, when you started farming, what it was like back then when you were starting to make that uh, conversion to organics. Um, I know uh, you had to rely a lot on trial and error, and uh, there weren't things like uh, organic field days at the local experiment station. Could you talk a little bit about that? Really, I started farming in 1972, fairly conventional, and then 1973 started looking at, and actually I suppose you'd say transitioning to organics. And I think uh, my first uh, organic certification was in 1975. But I think there was a group of people around the uh, Marshall, Minnesota area that had formed what they called the Minnesota Soil Association. And there were just a group of us that would get together maybe three or four times a year and just exchange information, talk about what worked, what didn't work, and give each other support. And the amazing thing, there was a good number of us that were younger in the sense that we were in our late 20s, early 30s. And part of it was because in the early 70s, there was a blip in the conventional markets with the great Russian grain deal that did bring uh, a few of us farmers back who had been out teaching or doing other work, and so we saw an opportunity. But this soil association was there, and so that was really what got uh, got me started. And then from there, I got connected with the Land Stewardship Project and got to know people like George Booty. And George gave me the opportunity to speak at the university in 1982. And I talked to them about what I was doing out there on the farm. And I've told the story a million times. At the end of my presentation, the question came, well, so you're doing all this stuff. uh, Where do you go for information? Where do you go for ideas and help? But honestly, I I was quiet for about 15 seconds. and, And my quick response then was, I can tell you where I don't go. I don't go to the university. But the great end of this story is that now it's probably the first place I go to, and in fact, I'm part of the university staff. 
So you look at how things have transitioned, and I think the, one of the key things there is that starting with this Minnesota Soil Association, I started learning the value of networking. And networking is really the nature of how organics is growing as well. And I think we saw it here today at this field day, all the information that's exchanged and all the people that come up to me and ask me questions and tell me what they're doing, and I tell them what we're doing. And so over the years, I think that's really how it's growing. Yeah, I think that's really, really key. We've seen that in so many areas of, quote-unquote, alternative agriculture or alternative methods. It must be really gratifying for someone like you who probably was considered on the outside and now you're kind of on the inside, but you're having a lot of positive impacts. And to see, I don't know, what do we have over 100 people at this field day today? I don't, I didn't get a count, but it was a, a big turnout. It was mostly farmers, but we also saw researchers and people involved in the industry. It must be really gratifying to see that after, uh, you know, really being a little bit out there on your own. It is. It's one of the most gratifying things. And I think to have people at the university stand up and say, yes, we need to do organic work. Probably one of the most gratifying things for me is when I have a neighbor who lives within five or ten miles from me come over and talk to me about how do I start going organic? Because, you know, you're always a prophet 50 miles away from home or an expert 50 miles away from home, I think it is. But when you know that your neighbors are, are looking at it, and when you can have neighbors come over to you and say, wow, that was a gorgeous field of soybeans you had there, and how do you do it, and it looks uh, it looks like the way to go. You know, all of those things, just one thing on top of the other. When I look back at that statement, I don't go to the university for help, and today being inside with the university I guess the thing that I've always told myself is, you know, you've got to be patient. You've got to take your time. Uh, and I think one of the most important things is looking back where we were and where we're at today, and that gives you reassurance that, yes, you are moving in the right direction. This, this is great to have this research center here, but I know a real focus of yours over the years has, has been on-farm research, actually doing plots on your farm. I know you worked with Rodell in the early years and with the University of Minnesota in more recent years. Can you talk a little bit about how important that's been and how important that is to farmers in general to actually see plots on other farms, kind of that idea? I think there's two things here. I think uh, one of the important things is that I was able to sit down and go, like they say, toe-to-toe with the university researchers and tell them, well, you've got these good ideas, but I don't think they're going to work on the farm. You've got this great idea on this plot, but when we look at a 20, 30-acre field and we look at the weather impacts and we look at all of the factors, it's not a great idea. So let's do, let's, let's do it on the farm. That part really is beneficial, and I have to thank the people at the university who were open-minded to do that. I personally enjoy the research part of things anyway. I just love the challenges that they do offer, and, when you're sitting out on the cultivator, a lot of these questions come to your mind, and so you, you, you want to start asking them. Uh, I think at one time I was working with uh, North Dakota State University, Rodale Institute, University of Minnesota, and I think South Dakota State, all in one year. And I think that one year we had five or six different projects going on on the farm. But it, it, it was enjoyable because you, you learn to observe closer. And what it has done for me personally is given me the ability to sit down with a lot of people who give me phone calls or emails or at meetings like this have the questions. 
and I don't have to give them the, an answer, but I can tell them, well, I know that I tried this on my farm, and we worked at this and a plot on my farm, and here were the results. And so I think having an on-farm, experiencing it with your own equipment, with your own time, and with your own understanding and management skills gives you so much more credibility when another producer comes up to you and asks you that question or asks you any question about it. I guess the best case in point today was this whole cover crop thing. You know, I haven't done the cover crop in row crop, but I've done it, well, I have done it in row crop, but not to the degree that they've talked about today, but at least you knew some of what the expectations could or could not be. And that, I guess, brings me to the last point is what is what do you see as some of the biggest research challenges? I, I, I asked this of Jim, too, that we're kind of getting to that point with organics is it's beyond the... Uh, the weirdo niche stage, the outside uh, area, you're getting a little bit more accepted. We're starting to see some of these systems really get established. What do you see uh, as some of the big challenges that uh, now that we've got organic plots here, we've got some real good on-farm research established, how do we use that? What, what are some of the big challenges that you're hearing from farmers that they would like to see? And then from the industry, I guess, too, the organic industry. I think one of the challenges, and it's because we're in the corn-soybean mentality, is how do we deal with diseases and insects? And we're really going to have to be creative on that one. And probably one of the hardest things we're going to have to deal with is enhancing our rotations to deal with these issues rather than looking for a magic bullet. But that, and that's going to take time and it's going to take understanding and the ability to think outside the box. At the same time, it's going to require looking at other marketing opportunities that would allow us to expand our, our, our rotations. I think the other area, and this one really excites me, is the concept of local foods. Uh, we see now the institutional buyers looking to enhance their positions in the market by trying to do the local thing. And I think they're doing it for, for all the right reasons. I think there's energy conservation. I think, there's, I think they're sensing a, the, the, a market opportunity. But I think there's also the idea that maybe some of these foods do have more quality than the highly processed, highly transported foods. So uh, I, I'm so glad here at Lamberton that we at least have started some horticultural work. And I hope that we can take that to the next level. So I think looking at taking... Uh, local foods production to the next level where we can get the institutions engaged in sourcing locally is really going to be the biggest challenge. Fernholtz and Riddle are also involved with an information exchange initiative where people can contact established organic farmers and ask them practical in-the-field questions. For more information on that, as well as organic and sustainable ag research in general, see www.organicecology.umn.edu. That's www.organicecology.umn.edu. You can also call 507-752-7373. That's 507-752-7373. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. 
And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.